0: is not easy to understand, and it grates against a deep and a profound American individualism that says, I establish my destiny, I establish who I am, no one else does. Now, if you hold that mindset, the gospel is incredibly difficult to get, because what you have to do is you have to understand, no, though we individually have fallen, we stand under Adam's fall as well. And we then also are saved because of Christ's work. He represents us. He does that for us. And that's great news because the reality is none of us would be able to fix ourselves. None of us. I try constantly. I have read... You can go to my office. I've got book upon book about organization and leadership and how not to forget things and how to do uh, reminders and do all this stuff. I've got reminders of reminders. I feel like it's a wonderful life with all the little, you know, the uncle with all the little pieces of string around his fingers. And he looks and he goes, oh, that's supposed to remind me of something. <laughs> that's sometimes how, I can't fix myself. And that's just on little things of reminding me. The deep and profound things, there's no way I can fix myself. But Jesus says that I came and I fixed you. That's what we've been talking about. We've been looking at this this idea of of the gospel. The gospel is simply a statement of good news. And we're looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ as Paul has been writing his letter to the churches in Galatia, which would be modern day uh, in Turkey. He wrote this letter, and it was circulated around to these churches there in Galatia, in that region. And they would have read it, and they would have been encouraged and challenged. He understood that these churches had started out well. Uh, They got going well. They understood the beauty of the gospel. They were thriving. They were growing. Other people were drawn into their ministry and into their midst, and they were becoming uh, Christians and giving their lives to the Lord. But then, all of a sudden, something very subtle but sinister. Something very... It played to the human intellect, but yet it was damning. And that was this group that came into the church and began teaching that it's Jesus plus something else. That you do definitely need Jesus. You do need to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and you need to believe that he died on the cross, and you need to have his righteousness, but you also have to add into it your own righteousness, If you were not a Jew by birth, you would have to be circumcised. You would have to have a physical mark on your body to show that you were now coming into the body of Christ. Or you would have to eat in a certain way or do certain things. It was the do's and the don'ts. It was a deep and profound fundamentalism that came in and basically said, Jesus plus your actions gets you to heaven. Or Jesus plus your actions keeps you going along and changes you. Well, Paul writes this letter. And he says, folks, that's not it. You've gotten sidetracked. You've begun to turn away from the true gospel. And this other thing that you're hearing is not good news at all. It actually is damning. Now, the danger with that is this. This isn't just a historic letter that was written a few thousand years ago that they read. And it has no meaning for today. This is actually going on within churches all around the world today. All around the world today. And in our own neighborhoods and in our own country, this is happening. Now, it's using language something like this. Are you a believer? Yes. Have you been baptized by the Spirit? Well, when I became a Christian, I received the Spirit. No, you have to have the second baptism. And then that will really show that you're a believer. See, Jesus plus something. Oh, you're a Christian. Have you done this? Do you drink? Well, I do. Oh, well, see, in order to be a Christian, you can't do those things. Do you do this? Do you do that? Oh, it's Jesus plus something else. I was on the mission field with a man, and his gospel was this. He came to me and said, Bill, do you speak in tongues? And I said, no, I don't. He said, well, then you're not saved. Now, what he was doing was exactly what Paul was saying, adding something more to the gospel. And Paul is fighting for the heart of the Christian faith. And so, folks, this is imperative. This is important stuff that we're dealing with because out of it flows everything else that we understand. It's who we are in Christ. And we said that the key verse within Galatians was the verse said, for freedom Christ has set you free. Don't return again, therefore, to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. He said, Christ has set you free. Don't return back to slavery. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to trying to prove yourself we said we need to understand the difference between the imperative and the indicative. You remember this? Those of you who are new, you're going, uh, this church is too much for me. I don't. Uh, uh, and those who've heard it going, I thought you were going to stop that. We said you have to understand the indicative before you understand the imperative. What I mean by that is this, the indicative. For Christ has set you free. Christ has died on the cross for you. Christ has done this for you. Completed, taken care of, once for all. Now, therefore... Based on what has already happened, stand firm. Live a holy and righteous life. Do all things unto the Lord. Do you see, if you switch those things, how backward it gets. If you were to go and look at the Ten Commandments, they start, and I always say to folks that the most important part of the Ten Commandments is the preamble or the prologue to the Ten Commandments. And most of you don't know it and haven't read it, but it's the important part for it starts like this. Most of you think that the Ten Commandments starts with, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain or lightly. Honor the Sabbath day. Don't make idols for yourself. Honor your father and mother. Do these things. Well, it actually starts. See, those are the imperatives, aren't they? Do this. Don't do that. Do these things. It actually starts with an indicative For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt. I have already done this for you. I have delivered you out of sin and death. I have taken you to the promised land. I have already done these things on your behalf. They're yours free. You don't have to do anything to earn them. Now, don't have any other gods in front of me. Don't take my name lightly. Don't worship idols and other things. Honor me one day out of seven. Then he goes into the imperative. Does that make sense? Kind of kind of catching a look at some of you guys here. On. Folks, if you switch it, you've walked right into trying to justify yourself. Paul brings that up again this week. We're going to look at the same passage of scripture that we looked at last week. Uh, hopefully you got it there with you. And by the way, if you come in, we've got it up on the screen and otherwise. But if you come in and you do need a Bible, there's some in the back of the church every week for you to have. If you like just having something uh, in front of you there uh, each week. But this is God's word. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May God add his blessing to the reading, the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now again for a special pouring out of your spirit, that we would know you and understand these words, your words, and that we would be profoundly impacted by them, that we would see that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Would we live in that way? To Christ be the glory. Amen. And so we said last week a couple of things just in review. We said at the heart of the gospel, Paul uses this word justified. He uses it three times there uh, in verse 16. He says, you've been justified, you've been justified, justified. We said that justification is a legal statement. It is a declaration that, that you are now free from guilt, penalty of the law, you are justified. You have the righteousness of Christ. It is a legal, positional statement about you. Do you know that? When you profess Christ, when you say, I believe in the Son of God to be the Savior, my Savior, who took upon himself my sins. God says, you're justified. You're free of all condemnation. Your debt has been paid. How much of your debt has been paid? All of it. Every bit of it—it's not simply sitting back over there to be sold to somebody else to take care of. It's not sitting there coming back at you one day. It has been paid in full. Guys, that's good news, isn't it? I don't know about you. People ask me. I love it when you fill something out and it says, "Are you a homeowner?" Like, of course not. The bank owns my home. I pay them regularly, and each time I look at it, I think, "Really?" For this, I, I'm going to buy a whatever—you know—a $200,000 home. And I'm going to pay $500,000 over 30 years for it. I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm going to be in debt forever. And you just look and you get frustrated and you just go, oh. And then some of us have, you know, you've run up credit card debts and you've done all of these things. And you look each month and you look each week and you're going, I'm never going to get out of debt. And you pay one down and guess what happens? You look and go, oh, there's another one over here. Jesus says to you, no more debt. All paid. Folks, that's good news. That's great news. There's no one going to come and call on that debt for you. You're free from it. Christ says you are justified in that. And you now have received the righteousness of Christ by faith and grace. By faith. You believed. It's a simple belief. If you believe in the name of God and believe in the name of Christ and confess his name, you will be saved. Faith. It's belief. Now, the danger with that is some people turn faith into the largest work. Ah, do you have enough faith? Do you have enough faith for Jesus to to save you? Get more faith, brother. If you had more faith, then Jesus could do this for you. I remember somebody telling me one time, going, Bill, God can do more with a moving car than he can with one that's sitting still, so just get going. Think about that one for a second. I thought, what? Basically what they said was, just have more faith. I remember being in another service one time and someone who was sick, and the pastor said, that person's sick because they don't have enough faith. They're saying that faith is something that we and ourselves concoct. Paul says, no, absolutely not. In Ephesians 2, he says, even that faith is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that, the, that tied back to faith, is a gift of God. Why? So that no one could boast. That means you can't look down the aisle and start measuring everybody up. I probably got more faith than them. I know I got more faith than her. Ooh, not sure about him. Heard about that guy. No, you look and you realize we are all saved by God's gracious gift. And if God was able and willing to give me the faith by grace to be saved, he can do it for anybody else. No one is beyond his reach. No one is beyond the capacity of the gospel to save them. Do you believe that? Because if you did, you'd be going out and you'd be going, you know what, I'm going to share the gospel with this person and I'm going to believe that God can change the life of this person. And when someone walks in those doors, you're not going to look and go, what's that person doing here? You ever had that thought? Hmm, I have. Really what it's saying is this. That guy's beyond grace. I'm not. But he is. The gospel levels it. And it says, by grace you've been saved through faith and that out of yourself. It's a gift of God that no one can boast. And so what we do is we celebrate in Him. We realize that we're justified in Him. And so that's what Paul is talking about here uh, in this passage. And so we've, we've been justified by God given grace and faith. Now, I want to say a couple of things about the enemies of this. There are two enemies that come into play to this belief about the gospel by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And those two things, Tertullian said that Christ was, set, was crucified between two equal enemies, one being the enemy of the works of the law and the other being one who doesn't care about the law at all. One who said you're going to have to be a moralist, a legalist and save yourself and the other person who said I don't need the law at all. Sloppy agape, free grace over here, all that kind of easy believism over here. And this, you've got to work your way to heaven over here. And so what you have to do is you have to find not the balance of those two things. You have to get rid of both of them as false and say this is the truth of the gospel. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about walking in line with the gospel, saying this is what I believe the gospel says, therefore my life and my belief system will follow along in that way. And so we look and we say the law was never designed to save us. It was a system of railroad tracks basically leading us to Christ, leading us to God, and then afterwards to be able to say this is how we should live once we've come to know Christ. That's the purpose of the law. Uh, John uh, Piper says this. It says, if we've taken the law, though, and instead of it being the railroad tracks on which we're to live our lives and be guided around, we've taken and we've leaned it up against a wall, And it's become a ladder that we try to climb to heaven. Great picture and image, isn't it? It's supposed to be the tracks by which we live our lives. The law is supposed to be, how are we supposed to love? Well, I shouldn't murder or hate my brother or sister. I should honor my father and my mother. I shouldn't commit adultery against my wife or have lust uh, in my heart in that way. I shouldn't covet. I shouldn't do those things. It's the tracks that are leading us along the way of life. But instead, what we've done is we've leaned it up against the wall of heaven and tried to climb it to get there. If you went out and you played and you got dirty... And you went into your bathroom and you looked in the mirror. What would the mirror tell you about yourself? What would it expose about you? This is simple, by the way. This isn't complex. You're covered in mud. You go and look at a mirror. What's the mirror going to tell you? You're dirty. What's the next thing you're going to do? A legalist, someone who would try to earn his way to heaven, would take the mirror off the wall and try to clean him or herself with the mirror. How silly is that, right? Because what the law does, or the mirror does, is it exposes and shows our dirtiness, our need of a cleansing agent, Christ, God in the gospel. Instead, so many of us go and we reach for the mirror. That image, it it just bears in my mind so often that's what we do. We go, oh, I'm dirty, therefore let me obey more. Oh, I'm messed up and I can't get to heaven. Let me see if I can. Let me turn the railroad tracks into a ladder and climb. And by the way, folks, some of you are exhausted from trying to climb, aren't you? You're trying to earn God's favor. And you never know whether you have it. Because guess what you know about yourself? You mess up. You know that better than anybody else. And guess what you have in your lives? You have people who regularly remind you that you mess up. Don't you? All around you, they remind you of that. Parents remind kids of that. Teachers remind students of that. Spouses remind spouses of that. Kids remind parents of those things. We all are reminded of those things constantly and regularly. And we are worn out. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a way that you wouldn't have to be worn out anymore? You could quit trying. And you could know that God's already done it for you. How many of you all would enjoy knowing that's true about you? Well, I would. It would change the manner in which I live my life because I wouldn't keep trying to please my heavenly father so that he would love me. I would please him because he loves me. I had a great dad. He passed away almost 20 years ago now. But my father, in all of his great things, also had this, this tendency to point out the wrong. To point out the failures and to say, come on, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to build it back up, you got to work it out. I went away for a few, uh, or I guess for a week, a few years ago, and I was journaling. And I remember writing in my journal this. How long am I going to try to gain the affection and the approval of a dead father? I was living my life going, I wonder if dad's pleased. I wonder if he'd say, a boy. Well, I wondered if he'd go. Oh, Bill! All the potential in the world, and you still keep messing up. Or as my economics professor said, McCutcheon, you're the worst kind of student I have. You're a A student who settles for Bs. Now, there's a recommendation for you. <laughs> and eventually, when you realize that you can't measure up, guess what you do? You quit trying. You believe the lie and you just say, forget it, forget it. Do you want to know why so many young people and young people who grow in to be older people who have grown up in households and in churches that preach law, law, law. Do this and God will like you. Do this and God will accept you. Do this and you can stay on your way to heaven. But if you step off, maybe you're going to lose it. Maybe you're going to lose that salvation. Folks who grow up in that have a tendency at some point in life to do this. I've had enough of it. I'm done with church. and I'm done with God and I'm done with everything else about it. Some of you may be tiptoeing back into church, wondering if that's what you're going to hear today. And what I want you to hear today is this. In Christ, by faith in Him, you have the full pleasure of your Father in heaven. Not based on anything that you have done, but on what Christ has done on your behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. And what that should lead us to then do is to desire to please our Father. And the best way to desire to please our Father, the best way to do that, guess what? God gave us a bunch of those. Love your wife well. Honor your father and mother. Does those sound familiar? It sort of recasts the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? That they not only have their use to drive us to the cross of our great need, but then once we come from the cross, it shows us how it is that we're to love our Father. So the law has a place in our lives. We don't just get to throw it away. There are too many Christians now who say, Hey, I've become a Christian. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live and sin and do. And you know why? Because Jesus saved me. I remember, I've remember i talked to people regularly and go, you, you profess to be a Christian. Help me understand this part of your life. I'm forgiven for that. Really? Or I've said it before, my prayer in college on Thursdays was generally this. God, forgive me for what I'm going to do this weekend. What was I taking advantage of? What did I have an absolutely poor understanding of? Both grace and the law. If I'd really knew that my identity was settled in Christ and that He had given His Son at incredible cost for me to be saved, my desire would have been God, show me what you want me to do this weekend. Help me to be different in my fraternity house. Help me to honor uh, this young lady that I'm dating or to get out of the relationship altogether if it's not honoring you. God, what do you want me to do? How can I live a life that's holy and righteous and blameless in front of you? Not to earn your favor, remember but because I already have it. Changes it all around. So folks, there's dangers on either side of the beauty of the gospel that of you're going to try to earn your way to heaven and the other uh, of you don't care about the law at all. Now both of those are saving yourself. One is saying I'm going to do it on my own and the other is saying I'm setting my own set of rules. God's rules aren't good enough for me. Both are dangerous in that. And the church today is teetering in and out of both of those, in and out. So be careful. Always listen. Always measure what you hear here against what you see in the scriptures, please. Because guess what I do? I make mistakes. Sometimes I have a tendency and I get offline. And guess what I need you to do? Come and bring me back in line. This church wants to promote the beauty of the gospel. So guess what happens now? You're justified. You've come to Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And here's where we're going to end today. We're going to look at this great verse where Paul says this. He looks and he says, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up with me. Do you see what happens there? Because of the work of Christ, because of the gospel, you are now united with Christ. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives where? Do you know where the Son of God is dwelling currently? It's not just somewhere in heaven. It's here, in you. You do know that. It says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that he is dwelling there in your midst. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you know that about you? When you look into a mirror, that you're looking and you say, I am the dwelling place of God himself. That I haven't become the Godhead, I haven't become divinity, but divinity has taken up a place right here inside of me. Folks, that's making an incredibly strong statement about you, isn't it? Because guess what that says about you? Wherever you go, guess who goes with you? Many of you pray prayers like this. And I'm going to critique it before you pray them in front of me. God, be with Bill. In Christ, guess where he already is. He's with me. So instead, maybe say something like this. God, make your presence known to Bill today. God, would you protect Bill in his travels today? Would you protect Susie? Would you protect Joey? Would you protect Sissy? Would you do that? Would you show yourself there? Would you remind them today of who they are in you that they are united with christ do you know that you are united with christ he also says though that you've been crucified with him what was crucified you were all the old and the life you now live you live his life in you you live his life in you and the life i now live see some people look at that verse and they go oh i've been crucified with christ And they have bumper stickers that say something like this, let go and let God. And they kick back and they go, I'm just going to let grace take over. God's in control. I'm just going to let him do it. Paul says, that's not what I said. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ living through you now. He has taken up residence. He's living in you. And by the way, that's a spiritual mystery. If you press me to explain it more, I can't. The son of God took up residence in me. How does that work? I don't know. It's a mystery, but he says that it's true and it's there. But in the midst of this mystery, he says that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, good. Bumper sticker time, right? No. Because his next statement is this. And the life I now live, I live by faith. How much of it is Christ's work in your life? One hundred percent. How much of it is your effort in your life? How much percentage is left? One hundred percent. It is 100% of Jesus working through you and 100% of your effort to live by faith, believing what he says about you. Do you realize that it's not a 60-40 split? It's not a 50-50 split, an 80-20, 90-10, however you want to do it. I don't want to show myself to be a poor mathematician up here, so I'll stop with all of that stuff. You've heard that joke, haven't you, that there's three types of people in the world? Those who are good at math and those who aren't. And, um, And so... We look at these percentages and we try to find it. Some of you are going, just let it sink in. Let it sink in. I'm the third group. Um, But we look and we go, it's got to be all God. It is all God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Walk that line. Live in such a way. You have to exert effort, folks. Folks. You have to exert effort to live this life. You have to fight the fight of faith. You have to exert those things. People would say, it's just too much for me. Yeah. You know that there's not a passage in scripture that says God will never give you more than you can handle. You do know that, right? Most of you think it's written there. God constantly gives us more than we can handle. Why? So that in our efforts, we would also have to look and go, I have to have the full strength of the Son of God who dwells in me to overcome this battle. I'm not just David out there. He has to be my David because the Goliaths that I face in my life are too strong for me. And I'll fight them. But if I'm not fighting in the power and the strength by faith of who it is that dwells in me, I'm going to lose every time, folks. You realize that. It's by faith you claim the promises of Christ of going, this is who I am. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. I am a beloved son or daughter of the king. I have been adopted into his family. I have the power of God dwelling in me. My name is written in his book. All of my sins are paid for. I am his. I am precious and I am dear and I am strong in him. Will you mess up? Absolutely you will. And so will I. We will fail. But the reality is this. You have God dwelling in you. The hope of glory. Living out his life through you. and so as we begin to approach life, maybe approach it a little differently like this, maybe begin to look at life this way, as I look at my wife and my kids are going, "God, would you love them through me? And would you help me, God love them?" You see both things there? God love them through me. God help me love them. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better father. Help me to fight my tendencies, which I have in the flesh, those things that are old and to keep coming back. That battle that Paul talks about, that he says there's a battle of the flesh and a battle of the spirit that are going on. And folks, know this if there's a battle going on inside of you about these things, that's a good thing, by the way. If there's no battle, you should be concerned. But fight, fight for the life I now live. I live by faith in the one who gave himself, and we're going to end with this today, for whom? Who did he give himself for? Let's all say it together. He gave himself for me. Try it again. He gave himself for me. Go look in a mirror today. This is your homework. I may have given it to you last week. I can't remember. There's that memory thing. So look in a mirror and say, Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Jesus is proud of you. Jesus brags about you in the midst of the saints. Jesus knows you intimately and still loves you intimately. How hard is that to say? Because guess what you see when you look in that mirror? You see the law pointing out your deficiencies. Let that mirror reflect the beauty of Christ saying, I see perfection. I see glory. And I hope our church is a place that becomes an encouragement. An encouragement on two things. One, know who you are in Christ. Remind us constantly of who we are in Christ. This is who we are. Preaching the good news. Encouraging one another in that way. And then on the second side, help us each fight the battle because I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. My role in your life is not to be your best friend. I hate to break that to you. My role in your life is to help you see the beauty of the gospel. And your role in my life isn't to be my best friend. It's to be my brother or my sister and to point me along the way to go, Bill, don't give up the fight. Fight. Fight for your children's hearts. Fight for your wife's heart. Fight for the hearts and the minds of your friends. Fight. 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 Live that life well, because there's one who lives in you, and he can do it. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that the God who moves mountains and the God who created everything by the simple speaking of his voice can come in and overwhelm your life and do incredible things more than you ever dare ask or dream or imagine? Do you believe that today? If you do, would you live that way? Would you live by faith believing that? Because there is an enemy who loves to tell you, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. And there's a God who's screaming from heaven and speaking quietly, Yes, you do. For you have my son, and he's enough. Let's pray.